Well, we're relying on friends and family and community to help us out. Tonight, what we're learning after the homes of some 90 people in Langley City are destroyed by fire. Plus... It's just been a total mess. It's been upsetting for all of us. COVID consequences, the battle to evict what the landlord calls a destructive and costly tenant. And... This has turned into a gong show on the other side of the 49th parallel. Contravening COVID rules, concern over continued cross-border connections. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news. A bus has crashed near Jasper, Alberta, and there are multiple injuries. RCMP confirmed the rollover happened near the Columbia Icefields this afternoon. A police spokesperson says it involved a coach bus with 15 people on board. At least three air ambulance crews were dispatched to the scene, along with a number of other emergency vehicles. Alberta Health Services says there are multiple patients, including several in critical and serious condition. We were sort of parked facing the the, uh, the glacier, and um, you could still see you could still see dust. And you know, when we looked a little bit closer, you could still rock, see some rocks sliding down the hill. So we we're like, "Oh, there was a rock slide." And then, unfortunately, when we looked a little bit closer, then we saw also um, the rock slide took out one of the one of the snow coaches. Premier Jason Kenney tweeted about the incident, thanking all the health care workers and park staff for their quick response. We'll bring you more information as it becomes available. Dozens in Langley City are relying on the kindness of friends and family after losing everything they own. Their condo building caught fire last night. The smoke from the massive blaze could be seen across parts of Metro Vancouver. As Paul Johnson reports, there are similarities between this fire and another in Langley just a few years ago. And we were just about to sit down for dinner. I was about to take my first bite, and uh, the uh, alarms went off inside the apartment. For many who lived in the Madison Station building, Friday's dinnertime alarm felt like a drill until they looked outside. We looked out on the balcony, and there was flames coming off the roof. Minutes later, this was the situation. It's astonishing that everyone was able to get out safely. Turned around, and the place was just engulfed. Like somebody threw a fireball at it, and it was gone. When they arrived, there was heavy uh, fire on the third and fourth floor, and that had already pushed uh, through the roof. Fire Chief Rory Thompson said his crews were nearby, and their response time was quick, but the fire moved faster. It progressed up the exterior of the building and then entered the attic space, and once it's in the attic space, it becomes a very difficult fire to fight. That burn pattern is similar to another catastrophic fire at another Langley condo building in late 2016. Paddington Station. And there are other similarities. Both buildings were marketed by Abbotsford's Quadra Homes, whose CEO, Peter Warkington, told Global News were both built by the same company, Reddale Construction. We couldn't reach them Saturday, but Quadra's Warkington said the fires should trigger a change in local building codes to require sprinklers in attics and balconies. Well, last night, basically, there was a pop-pop some residents say they heard what sounded like a popping or a small explosion. Though the fire department says the cause is still unknown and can't be investigated until they shore up what's left of the building. For the 90-odd residents now scrambling for housing, they are part of the single biggest displacement of British Columbians since the COVID-19 pandemic began. In Langley, Paul Johnson, Global News. 
And a Langley homeowner is just beginning to assess the damage to his property tonight. The ban on evictions during the pandemic left him in a bind when he couldn't force out a bad tenant. That renter is now gone, but the fight isn't over yet. And as Julia Foy reports, the landlord is now tallying up the mounting costs. So this is a private entrance of his. For Langley landlord Jack Trungent, visiting the rental suite next to his home is bittersweet. Oh, the place was disgusting. By the time the bailiffs got all the stuff out, the place was a mess. We have areas where the floor is lifted. Um, the, the fridge was full of stuff. We couldn't even tell what it was. Uh, we have uh, ceiling damage from the smoke. Come on. We first met Trungeon in May when he was fighting to evict a tenant. He did some inappropriate comments to my teenage daughter and he wasn't paying the rent on time. But the B.C. state of emergency due to the COVID-19 pandemic meant the tenant couldn't be evicted. Trungeon said that's when the damage started. Because we were allowed to inspect it during COVID, the individual took the uh, fire alarms down. So that was a fire risk to you? Oh, of course. We all could have been killed. It's disgusting. <laughs> After months of applications to the B.C. Tenancy Branch and the B.C. Supreme Court, Trungeon was able to hire bailiffs to remove the tenant's belongings in early July. What they found inside was disturbing. I was shocked to find dog feces in here and it was covered up by dirty laundry. I, I, and I just, I, again, the smell was horrible. I, I couldn't believe it. I just don't know how somebody could live like this. Floor repairs, tub repairs, I, 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 it's going to be in the thousands for sure. Trungeon says he's out $600 for cleaning services and 7200 bucks in rent. A new plan by BC Housing to lift eviction restrictions September 1st also includes some support for landlords to be repaid for unpaid rent by July 2021. The, the mom and pop landlords, they certainly have expenses that they need to pay as well. And so uh, what we expect now going forward is a, a repayment plan that is structured. Trungeon says he will go back to the tenancy branch in September to claim expenses, but he's soured on being a landlord ever again. We might not ever get it back, we don't know, but you know what, we're going to keep trying and we're going to do everything we can and, uh, and let's hopefully it works in the end. So good luck, landlords, and hopefully it'll work out for you guys. Julia Foy, Global News. And this sunny weekend will be another test of physical distancing in our province. The fear is young people still aren't getting the message as the number of COVID-19 cases stemming from parties continues to grow, including at a popular Okanagan tourist city. Kristen Robinson has more. Despite what it may look like, sun seekers at Sassamat Lake say they have social distancing in mind. We just went in, hopped in the water, got out. You don't want to be around those people, like around other people at a close proximity. Well, we're definitely uh, social distancing and just keeping in our own bubble. Oh yeah, yeah, I know how smart he's right now. Health officials hoping that message will be spread on social media after COVID-19 flare-ups involving young people and social events. Take steps to protect each other so you can spread kindness and joy and not the virus. BC's top doctor urging people to socialize safely. We need to play safe and stay safe. With a series of new slogans. We don't let COVID steal our summer. I think our big fear is, is that we could take a huge step backwards. Normally a tourist hotspot, Kelowna remains under a cloud of COVID-19. At least 35 cases linked to private parties in the city earlier this month. Six staff members at Kelowna General Hospital now infected with the virus. We all need to do better. Uh, Kelowna is not a COVID-free bubble, clearly. And, uh, and so we need to be responsible. 
The Okanagan City's mayor not ruling out more Phase 3 restrictions or even a return to Phase 2 if things don't improve. But if we don't respond well and this continues to blow up, we're going to have to take some significant steps backwards and I don't think anybody wants that. Kelowna wants tourism, but the message for visitors, keep your distance and avoid parties, especially indoors with people you don't know. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The first COVID-19 case has been reported on Haida Gwaii. The Haida Nation says a person has notified them that they have tested positive. Community members who may have been exposed have been notified and are self-isolating. The Haida Nation still is still under a state of emergency and says the island remains closed to all non-essential visitors. Island residents previously said they were worried that even a single COVID-19 case would be a threat to Haida Gwaii's limited health care resources. It's been a month since the provincial park at Peace Arch border was closed after too many people separated by the border closure were gathering there to meet up. So it may surprise you that cross-border couples can still get together at Peace Arch, not in the provincial park, but in the nearby state park along Zero Avenue. The park straddles the 49th parallel, so Canadians and Americans are free to meet in the middle so long as they go back to the same side they came from. A treaty means neither country can build a wall or fence to keep the other out. On Thursday, Washington state recorded an astounding 1,267 new COVID cases. Why is it concerning to you? Well, I just look at the numbers on both sides of the border, and I think we have done such a good job and taken it so seriously, and it, it reflects what we've done. And down there, because of the mixed messages and the politics, this has turned into a gong show on the other side of the 49th parallel. Well, for me, I'm Canadian, and I live in Birch Bay, and all of my family's in Canada, and my daughter's gone with her dad for the summer. So for me, like today, it's been months since I've seen my family, so this is great for me. They should be tracked and they should have to quarantine. Um, the numbers down in Washington State are going crazy right now. A Nanaimo man is hoping that he'll be reunited with his family this weekend. His wife and two young children have been stuck in the Philippines due to pandemic travel restrictions and expired documents. As Nadia Stewart tells us, he says the process to try to get his loved ones home has been utterly frustrating. These are our two kids. Martin McGue has not seen his wife, Joanne, and children in months. They traveled as a family to the Philippines last November. McGue returned home in January, but the rest of the family had their flight home upended by COVID-19 in April. We don't know when they can get home if they don't get this next flight. Ever since then, it's been a frustrating process just trying to get them all home. For some reason, this is a very slow process for the Canadian government to deal with. The biggest obstacle has been with his wife's travel documents. Her permanent residency card expired last August. It's not clear how she was able to fly with the expired document, but McGue says there were no issues when they left last fall. I know lots of people who forget to renew their, their driver's license. There's lots of us that make the same mistakes here, so it's not like it's a... It's really a minor technicality, but our federal government has made it a big issue, and I have a big problem with that. McGue has been working with MP Paul Manley, trying to get Ottawa to expedite the process. They're uh, going great guns on this to try to get all that paperwork done to make sure that uh, his family can get on a plane.
We've reached out to Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada, but have yet to receive a response. After having missed opportunities to fly home due to cancelled flights, McGue is holding out hope they'll be able to board a flight on Sunday, but it's no guarantee. Yesterday I was hopeful. Today I'm very stressed and very worried that they won't be able to because now I understand the process is to send the documents to the embassy in Manila. If they would simply send uh, a travel, uh, travel document to us directly, then she'd be able to board. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Most Fortis BC customers will soon see a nearly 50% hike in natural gas rates. Starting August 1st, mainland, interior and Vancouver Island customers will see their rates go up by 73 cents per gigajoule, a 47% increase. Fortis says based on average consumption, customers will pay about $6 per month and that BC prices remain amongst the lowest in almost 15 years. Natural gas prices are increasing due to a drop in North American production and the impact of COVID-19. Workers and contractors with a road maintenance firm in the Prince George area have received threats and insults after six kilometers of seal coating laid by crews on Chief Lake Road failed on Thursday, causing the tires on dozens of vehicles to become stuck. YRB Fort George says it's investigating the cause of the failure and insurance companies are dealing with the damage claims. The company says its answering service and office staff have been inundated with calls ever since and some of those calls have been threatening and crude. Crews are still working to repair the stretch of road. A second BC family is making a desperate plea for help for their baby. Little Arian was born with a rare degenerative nerve disease and needs a multi-million dollar gene therapy to survive. As Sarah McDonald reports, it's the same costly treatment that could save the life of another lower mainland child. He's not even a year old, and already little Aryan is in the fight of his life. He like uh, got weaker and uh, his muscles uh, was getting weak. Life as they knew it for the Dials of Surrey changed drastically in January when their now 11-month-old son received a life-altering diagnosis of spinal muscular atrophy, a degenerative disease that without treatment would steal Aryan of the ability to eat, walk and even breathe. A life-saving treatment does exist, but it's out of reach due to a whopping seven-figure price tag. 2.1 million US dollars, maybe 2.8 million Canadian dollars. Arian needs just one dose of the most expensive drug in the world. He's currently on medication called Spinraza, but it's not a cure. That's why his parents are going public in their quest to find funding for a single dose of the drug called Zolgensma. We are asking community and Canadian people and other people like who, who are... We're asking everyone to like help, help us as much as they can, right? Even $1, $2 or whatever, anything can help. If Arian's story sounds familiar, that's because it is. Let's get this leg. Go up and over. You've already met baby Lucy, who's also in need of the gene therapy, which isn't approved by Health Canada. I went and looked through online and tried to find reporters that have a massive reach and I was able to get in connection with Ala from CNN. Three-month-old Lucy's family has managed to raise more than $2 million already through publicity and crowdfunding. Now Arian's parents are pleading for the same generosity. We have only one year left. Because it's not only the disease they're battling, it's also time. Both Arian and Lucy need Zolgensma by the time they turn two. Sarah McDonald, Global News. 
for more help on how you can help little Arian, go to the posted website on your screen. Another reminder to be bear aware after a scary incident in Burnaby earlier this month. Residents of a building near Maple Grove Crescent saw a black bear rummaging through their dumpster on July 9th. The animal pulls out a bag of garbage before deciding to climb into the dumpster for more. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Brief ride in the dumpster as it started rolling away, but quickly jumped out and took off unhurt. The building has since replaced the dumpster with locking bins. Canada's Major League Baseball team, the Toronto Blue Jays, was hit hard today. The federal government rejected a pitch for the Jays to play at home in the midst of COVID-19, despite a proposed baseball bubble to keep players safe. The strikeout, according to Ottawa, is based on the advice of public health officials. The Toronto Blue Jays have been benched. The team was supposed to begin its season next week, but it appears the Canadian government isn't willing to play ball. In a statement, the federal immigration minister explained his decision. Unlike preseason training, regular season games would require repeated cross-border travel of Blue Jays players and staff, as well as opponent teams into and out of Canada. Of particular concern, the Toronto Blue Jays would be required to play in locations where the risk of virus transmission remains high. The team had been given the green light by Toronto and the provincial government to play its season at the Rogers Centre with obvious stipulations. Players and support staff would be required to self-isolate for 14 days and they could only go between the hotel and the ball field. We know that there's teams that play in Florida, Arizona and Texas and lots of other parts of the United States that have a high burden of infection. And I guess when the public health authorities sort of looked at the organizational structure and the possible risk, they, I guess when they did their calculus, it just didn't seem to pass the smell test. The Blue Jays organization says the club respects the government's decision, saying our players will take the field for the 2020 season with the same pride and passion representative of an entire nation. We cannot wait until the date comes that we can play in front of our fans again on Canadian soil. And these Jays fans are disappointed. Every summer we follow the Blue Jays, so yeah, we're disappointed about the uh, baseball. The club is in the process of finalizing a home location for the remainder of the 2020 season. Fields rumored to be in the running so far are in Florida and Buffalo. Morgan Campbell, Global News. The black box of the Ukrainian passenger jet Iran's military mistakenly shot down in January is finally en route to France. The news comes from a semi-official Iranian news agency. Iran accidentally shot down the plane, killing all 176 people on board after mistaking it for an incoming missile. 55 Canadian citizens were on board, along with 30 permanent residents and dozens of others with connections to Canada. The news agency quoted an aide to Iran's foreign minister who said the black box was transported to Paris on Friday, accompanied by an Iranian civil aviation and judicious judicial officials. Demonstrators in Toronto rallied to defund the city's police service and took aim at some historic monuments. Three people were arrested after protesters tossed paint on statues of Canada's first Prime Minister, Sir John A. Macdonald, on a, and on a statue of King Edward VII, both outside the Ontario legislature, and on the monument to Edgar, 
Egerton Ryerson on the Ryerson University campus. Members of the Toronto chapter of Black Lives Matter said the statues perpetuate the history of colonialism and anti-black violence. American civil rights icon and U.S. Representative John Lewis has died at the age of 80. The congressman who has been battling cancer for months passed away at his home on Friday. He leaves behind a lifelong legacy of activism. We're marching today to dramatize to the nation, dramatize to the world. From Selma to Washington, John Lewis dedicated his life to the fight for civil rights. On one hand, we made a lot of progress, but come distance. Uh, but we're not there yet. The son of sharecroppers, he believed nonviolent action could ignite social change. I was beaten by state troopers. Arrested dozens of times, he became one of the original freedom riders, challenging laws in the South which prohibited black and white riders from sitting together on interstate buses. The buses were often targeted by angry mobs. In 1963, he helped organize the March on Washington when hundreds of thousands of activists gathered at the National Mall to hear one of the iconic speeches in American history. Later, Lewis worked to organize the marches from Selma to Montgomery, which included the confrontation on the Edmund Pettus Bridge where marchers were met by Alabama state troopers. As he grew older, Lewis took his fight for social justice to Congress. One paper said he was the only major former civil rights leader to extend his fight for human rights to the halls of the Capitol. One of the leading liberals in Washington, Lewis didn't back down from a fight. In his later years, Lewis spent much of his time educating and inspiring the next generation. And I said to all of the young people, you must get out there and push and pull and make America what America should be for all of us. From his activism in the civil rights movement. In 2011, President Obama, the nation's first African-American president, awarded John Lewis the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest civilian honor. And generations from now, when parents teach their children what is meant by courage, the story of John Lewis will come to mind. That courage was tested again when Lewis learned he had stage four pancreatic cancer. He said, quote, I've decided to do what I know to do and do what I have always done. I'm going to fight it. John Lewis, who believed equality, could not wait. Dan Sheneman, NBC News. Fire has seriously damaged a 15th century cathedral in the western French city of Nantes. And the heat from the flames blew out stained glass windows, destroying the grand organ inside. It took several hours for firefighters to control the blaze. It comes just over a year after a major fire at the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris destroyed its roof and main spire. Officials suspect arson and say three fires had been started at the site. Photos have now been released of the secret royal wedding of the daughter of Sarah Ferguson and Prince Andrew. Buckingham Palace has released two official photos of the private wedding of Princess Beatrice and property developer Eduardo Mapelli Mossi in Windsor on Friday. The images include the newlyweds with the bride's grandparents, Queen Elizabeth and the Duke of Edinburgh. The 31-year-old bride wore a vintage dress by Norman Hartnell, loaned to her by the Queen, and a tiara the monarch wore on her own wedding day in 1947. The couple had originally planned to marry in May, but was forced to postpone because of the pandemic. An announcement about yesterday's ceremony was made after the fact.
In Health Matters tonight, whenever a COVID-19 vaccine is available, Ottawa intends to stockpile enough to give at least two doses to every Canadian. The federal procurement minister announced that as Canada's first human vaccine trials began this week, Quebec biopharmaceutical company Medicago is hoping to see the first proof of effectiveness by the fall. In order to be ready, Ottawa has ordered more than 7 million syringes, alcohol swabs, bandages and other supplies to be delivered no later than the end of October. <coughs> A German company has developed an app it hopes can detach the, detect rather, the presidents of COVID-19 by the way a cough sounds. It's based on research identifying different types of coughing, sneezing and voice characteristics that have been recorded, analyzed and compared with healthy people. More research and testing is needed before it can be available to the public. The novel vending machines for the novel coronavirus, a first for one Canadian city. We're going to have that story for you right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, NASA has released new images of the sun. These are the closest pictures ever taken. They were captured by the Solar Orbiter. Officials say the images will help scientists piece together the sun's atmospheric layers, and that information will help us better understand how the sun drives weather patterns here on Earth. And speaking of outer space, <laughs> you've got some images for us. Yeah, it's been fantastic, and conditions have been favorable. Colleen, we've got ver uh, several photos, and we'll start off with a couple to share. Uh, with the clear skies, if you're looking towards the northeast, you've got to get up early in the morning. Uh, this is a beautiful shot. This is Comet Neowine captured by Doris in Powell River. Another fantastic one, Green Lake Spectacular, taken by Warren. This one, Powell Lake, taken by Carl. And another one as well, Inverning, taken by Malcolm. So you still have some time to check, check it out the next uh, week to 10 days. So just into the early morning hours. And temperatures, conditions have been favorable. Uh, today the sun was out, very summer-like. Don't forget to lather on the sunscreen. We'll see another sunny day for tomorrow. Bit of a blip in the forecast across the northern half of the province and I'll outline what that means in the next wave of rain that is going to move in in just a moment. We're sitting at 21 degrees. We've got a light southwesterly wind at 7 kilometers per hour. A few other spots across the province today heating up into the low 30s, a Soyuz Trail, Lillooet, all included within that. Metro Vancouver, we got up to 22, but away from the water today, 25, and with the Humidex, it was feeling closer to 27 and 28 degrees. Overnight tonight, there are a few clouds in the mix. We will see it for tomorrow morning, so a heads up, but it is going to clear out, and we'll be back into some sunshine towards the afternoon. Highs tomorrow, 23, but away from the water, up to 28 degrees, and with the Humidex tomorrow, it's going to feel closer to 32 degrees away away from the water. So we've got a hot day in store and similar as we get in towards early next week. Bit of instability this evening. We're tracking across the northern half of the province. Coastal sections, it's rain. We've been seeing rain on and off to, uh, into the central interior, but that is going to taper off towards this evening and then just towards the south of it. It's been sunny, dry and warm. Now the future cast putting it into play. So we've got cloud cover tomorrow morning, breaks towards the afternoon. The next wave of rain that is going to move in across the northern half of the province will be by Monday morning morning uh, through the day, heavy at times, and then pushing its way in towards the interior. Long-range forecast, ridge of high pressure builds in across the southern half of the province. We'll see sunshine, warm conditions. It'll likely take us towards our Thursday. We may have more cloud cover rolling in, but still remaining dry. A quick glance at the temperature trend. These are numbers that are away from the water, so on Monday, that'll likely be the peak of the temperatures, but still very hot on Tuesday, and then a bit of a reprieve for those who don't like the heat. That'll be midweek onwards. Northern half 
half of the province, so still a few isolated showers, a bit of a break from the rain. The next wave is going to push in on Monday, continuing for the day and leading in towards Tuesday. Most areas across the central interior, a nice break from the rain, a dry one. Northeastern corners, one spot across the province, a slight risk of a thunderstorm. It's sunshine for the southern half of the province, but a heads up tomorrow, especially into the Thompson Okanagan. The winds are going to pick up. There could be gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour, so breezy for a few areas. And it's going to be windy across the south coast for all areas that are closer towards the water. We'll see more sunshine, especially towards the afternoon. Temperatures heating up. Here's the summer heat, especially in towards our Monday, Tuesday. A hot one, more cloud cover rolling in for Wednesday, Thursday. But so far, it does remain dry. So a heads up tomorrow. Grab the sunscreen and stay hydrated. Colleen? Lovely. All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. This kind of makes sense. There are now vending machines in the greater Toronto area dispensing personal protective equipment. Red Seal Vending in Vaughan had to close its warehouse in March and lay off most of its employees because of the pandemic. But the company pivoted and began manufacturing these machines, dispensing masks and hand sanitizer at Pearson Airport, the CN Tower and several malls. And of course, payment is touchless. So you don't have to touch it to pay. And there's even apps on there where when you approach a vending machine, you can order off your phone, you can pay off your phone, and you just pick your product out of the bottom bucket. You don't have to touch the machine. The company says getting staff back to work was the motivation behind the idea. And how about this? A robotic barista is lending a helping hand to coffee lovers in Moscow who want to abide by social distancing rules. The device can prepare various coffee drinks and milkshakes for visitors at a local park. Park administrators say having a robot instead of a human barista serve drinks in crowded places is reducing the risk of infections. Russia currently has the fourth highest number of confirmed corona cases in the world, with more than 750,000 reported. Now that machine, not big on speed, but it will never spell your name wrong, <laughs> ever. I was just going to say, That's I think funny. it always spells your name wrong. They never actually even get your name, your actual name right, no. and then they misspell the, name, the wrong name. Too. You're right, Harry. <laughs> That's right. I've been called uh, Perry, I believe. Perry oh, with an I-E. Yeah. yeah. Once in Mexico. So, yeah. <laughs> what do you got coming up? <laughs> well, uh, they do have a hockey hub city in Toronto for the NHL, but the Blue Jays uh, have been uh, turned down in their request to host uh, Major League Baseball games when their season resumes next week. We'll tell you about that. Hear from the Canucks as they're about a third of the way through their training camp as they get ready to uh, start their season again as well. Have a look at this. Some beachfront houses on Australia's east coast were on the verge of tumbling into the sea today, damaged by strong swells. Eyewitness video shows several houses with collapsed decks, missing walls and foundations laid bare by land erosion caused by wild storms lashing the coastline. Residents were evacuated after emergency personnel warned their homes might collapse as waves as high as 12 meters hit the shore. Meanwhile, Mother Nature has not been kind to parts of Alberta this summer with a thunderstorm season that seems endless. And while there aren't more storms than usual, they are more intense. As Lauren Pullen explains, the costliest hailstorm in Canadian history has left Alberta in shambles this summer. The costliest hailstorm in Canadian history barreled down on Calgary this June. There's no question the city has been hit hard this storm season. Alberta's hail suppression team takes to the sky to fight off those storms as they come, trying to reduce the size and hopefully the damage from that hail. And while it hasn't recorded more hailstorms this year than normal, it has seen a shift. 
are high statistics for severe storms and operations, it's increased. Conditions seem to be more severe within the last uh, 10 years. When it comes to dollars and cents, the Insurance Bureau of Canada says the damage from severe weather has increased more than 250% across Canada over the past decade, and Alberta specifically is on track for a staggering year. Over this past decade, the average costs for severe weather on average across Canada have been about $1.9 billion. This year in Alberta alone, those costs could be close to or exceeding $2 billion in this province alone. It's concerning for Councillor George Chahal, who is pushing for more to be done by the city and the province after his ward was hammered by that record-breaking hailstorm and others this year. So start working even with the, the private sector on finding ways to uh, you know, bring some initiatives forward that has an impact on emergency alert systems, on our infrastructure being more uh, ready and prepared for these type of storms and the impacts, and also our housing and our buildings that we built um, being more resilient and sustainable. Still, much of the power remains with Mother Nature. And with half of the storm season still left, eyes remain on the sky to see what's still to come. Lauren Pullen, Global News. Barry's here now, and boy, we've got NHL news, MLB news. It's almost like uh, yeah. old times. Yeah, almost. We're a week away from baseball, two weeks ago away from NBA and NHL, so... Hey, those are summer sports now, right? Thanks, Colleen. The Canucks were uh, back at it today at Rogers Arena after taking Friday off. They are about one-third of the way through training camp. They don't begin their play-in series versus the Minnesota Wild for two more weeks. And with just one tune-up game against Winnipeg still 11 days away, the Canucks have to use practice to ramp up to playoff-style conditions without injuring each other. Trying to keep it high intensity and in game-like situations, even in practice we're all doing you know, game-like situations um, you know, in, in a lot of our drills. So to keep guys' heads in it and, and keep focusing on the task at hand and, and not uh, shying away what the main goal is here. And I think if we keep doing that, then um, you know, it's going to you know, lead to good things here coming in the playoffs. Oh, there's some more physical contact in practice today. Some more one-on-one, some more D-zone. You know, guys battling body-wise, I think that's important that you have to get that that part in. Because um, if you don't and you just go into it full tilt, you're probably going to run into injuries. We hope the Canucks play better than the quality of their video <laughs> during these Zoom calls. It's uh, It looks like they're being held prisoner. Anyway. The federal government has denied the Toronto Blue Jays approval to play their home games at Rogers Centre. That means the Jays will have to play their 30 home dates either in Buffalo, Dunedin, Florida, or somewhere else in the U.S. The Canadian government felt players coming from highly contagious areas of the U.S. into Canada was too risky, and it's hard to argue that. Jays open their season next Friday in Tampa. Their first home game is July 29th versus Washington. Russell Tybert has played in every MLS season with the Whitecaps, and he will be playing a few more. The team extended him through 2023 with an option for 2024. Tybert's made 200 appearances for the club. He's got just three goals, but his work ethic is second to none. He's got the trust of teammates and coaches, which is so important. Tybert and the Caps play Seattle tomorrow night, 7.30 in Orlando. MLS tonight, Portland Timbers and Houston Dynamo. Timbers won their opener, looking to clinch a spot in the knockout stage and they are on their way. 35 minutes in, Jeremy Ibabisi with a cracker 
hammers the left footer to the far corner, 1-0 Portland. They've added another lead, 2-0, with about 20 minutes to go. FA Cup semifinals from Wembley, Arsenal and Manchester City. Arsenal coming off a 2-1 win over Liverpool midweek, and they strike first here. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang on the other end of the cross will put it in, 1-0 Arsenal, and then... Later on, Aubameyang sent in alone. Great speed, and he will uh, nutmeg the keeper for his second of the match. Gunners are into the FA Cup final. 2-0 over Manchester City. The other semifinal goes tomorrow also at Wembley, Man United and Chelsea. Windy day at Muirfield Village for round three of the Memorial. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin made just one bogey. Pretty good in those tough conditions. The greens have dried out. It is firm and fast. Misses the birdie here, but at 270, Adam is tied for 24th at even par. Tiger Woods barely made the cut, but at a decent day, makes the long birdie. One under 71 today. He's tied 37th plus two for the tournament in his first one back since the restart. And uh, that is a long way back of the leaders. Tony Finau on the 10th from 50 feet, playing partner Ryan Armour, getting a close look there, watches it go in for birdie. Finau got it to 12 under, but two double bogeys down the stretch have him tied second at minus eight. Spaniard John Rahm really caught fire on the back nine. His approach at 14, he likes it. Good reason, sticks it to about four and a half feet, made the birdie putt. And then on 16, Rom for four straight birdies. And you can count it, Rom four under 68, just one of two rounds in the 60s today in the entire field. He's got a four-shot lead. Mackenzie Hughes of Ontario tied ninth at three under, but nine back of leader John Rom. Hungarian Grand Prix qualifying today. It was quite the day for Montreal's Lance Stroll. Now in his third year in F1, starting to put some better performances together. Stroll ends up qualifying third, so he'll be in row two. Lewis Hamilton is on the pole. Mercedes, uh, Mercedes teammate Max Verstappen is right beside him, qualifying in second. Well, it's amazing what can happen when you can uh, get like-minded people together who are fueled by passion and a love of sport. Cheam Mountain Golf Course is home to three Chilliwack golf pros who've turned the par three course into one of the Fraser Valley's best success stories. Their labor of love is on display seven days a week from sunrise to sunset. I'm the fake superintendent, I guess. <laughs> My Facebook profile says that I'm the resident range picker. Then I take care of the, the business side on the inside. And now do a good job rotating through with your body. I'm our lead instructor, Mountaintop Golf Academy, and uh, things are great. Three buddies, three business partners, and one fairway-sized success story. Together, the Chilliwack natives have turned Chiam Mountain Golf Course into the place families and golfers of all ages can get a quick and quality round of golf in. It's something for the family to use. Um, you know, our course doesn't take five hours to play like some of the other courses around here. So you can come out after work, whip around, play in two, two and a half hours if it's not too busy, and something for everybody to enjoy. Chia Mountain Golf Course first opened in the 90s and is owned by the city of Chilliwack. Back then, there wasn't a day when you wouldn't find golfers on the course. But then it fell on hard times. Run down, overgrown, and a property more suitable for goats, business dried up. For guys who grew up playing and loving this executive par 3 course, it was tough to see. So collectively, they decided to take over the lease. We just kind of rolled the dice. Like, uh, I don't know if it was scary. It was just, uh, holy crap, here we go, kind of thing, you know. 
Here we go means being in charge of everything. Driving range, golf course, pro shop, restaurant, and most importantly, paying the bills. This is the fourth golf season of their five-year lease, or should we say sweat equity plan. 12 to 15-hour workdays is the norm for all three. Rounds are up, money is being made, and the golf course has never been in better shape. First year that we came, uh, we didn't we didn't invest in an online tee sheet or anything like that. We ran a paper tee sheet, um, and there was always holes. And uh, over well over the last couple months, we've seen a, a decent amount of days where from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. there's there's no openings. If if you don't call a couple days in advance or, or a week in advance, you might not get a spot. So that's uh, that's very different uh, than it would have been here when we took over in 2017. Our mandate is we just want to do the best job we can every day uh, and make sure that uh, we're just constantly making the facility better and more enjoyable for all of our golfers. Jay Janower, Global Sports. Yeah, those guys are certainly invested. Good for them that they got some success there. Colin. Yeah, I wish somebody would do that with the Royal Oak in Victoria. That would be great. <laughs> okay, well, you've, set the, you've got the ball rolling on that one now. No kidding. Thanks, Barry. <laughs> and more on a breaking story we brought you at the beginning of the newscast. RCMP say three passengers have been killed when a glacier sightseeing bus rolled over at one of the most popular attractions in the Rocky Mountains, the Columbia Icefields. RCMP say there were a total of 27 passengers on the vehicle when it crashed. It is time now for a look at our nightly thank you to our BC Healthcare heroes. Yvonne, who do you have tonight? Tonight we're honoring, honoring Gladys Road and Laura Heights. Both ladies work at 100 Mile General Hospital. Laura works in transport and laundry and Gladys works in laundry. Both work very hard, including the extra, all the extra laundry since the pandemic started. And it's not just the daily laundry, but they make sure that everyone has clean scrubs to change into when they arrive at work and clean gowns as PPE that are worn daily. If you have a healthcare hero to nominate, email us a few photos to BC Healthcare Heroes at globalnews.ca and tell us why they are your hero. Great. Thanks so much, Yvonne. A BC man is back home after an epic nine month solo voyage around the world. Fabulous. Family and friends welcomed Bert Terhart to Victoria's Inner Harbour this afternoon. Some even swimming out to his sailboat before he cleared customs. Terhart is returning to a very different world than the one he left last fall. He hasn't had contact with anyone since he set sail last October. On top of being a social, distan a social distancing champion, Terhart completed his solo voyage without any electronic navigation, using only a pen, paper, and charts, and a sextant to navigate his five capes journey. I was telling some folks back there what you said to me when I left, and and uh, I may not be smart, Dad, but I'm persistent. And you got to be persistent. Yeah, never give up. Never give up. So in my in my lowest, weakest moments, and uh, I'm human. So I was afraid, and I was uh, I was I was uncertain and doubtful. In those moments, the people that you know that that are cheering for you are actually making a massive difference in your ability to succeed. What a brave soul. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Congrats. Yeah, congratulations. Jordan's going to be here at 11. He'll have more on that bus crash. Thanks for joining us and have a good night.